Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Hello and welcome to the first Mumbrella Cast of 2019. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to discuss everything that's happened this year, even though it's been less than two weeks, is news editor Paul Wallbank. Hi, Viv. Senior media reporter Zoe Semios. Hi, Viv. And talking and pushing the buttons, queen of multitasking is Abigail Dawson, our senior agency's reporter. Hi, Viv. Coming up in this episode, everyone's on the move in 2019. Who will rebrand Australia for the world? And the Today Show finally stabilises. So look, it is still only week two of 2019, but we've already seen so many people movements. I'm not sure if this is leftover from movements that were actually happening last year that we've subsequently found out, or if literally everyone in Adland went on a holiday and decided that they needed a new job, because it certainly has not been quiet I think one of the biggest ones for the industry is obviously Lisa Ronson, the Chief Marketing Officer of Tourism Australia, jumping ship to be the Chief Marketing Officer of Coles. Now, Lisa is such a respected marketer, particularly for her work with the sort of sneak attack Super Bowl Crocodile Dundee campaign and Abby I know you did a lot of work on that campaign at the time and you were one of the first people I knew who called it that this is not a Crocodile Dundee movie something's going on you were creeping around the tiny words on the ad and you were all over it do you think if Lisa had stuck around at Tourism Australia and I'm not saying this is why she left but do you think if she had stayed she could ever have topped that campaign Look, it's a really good question, but I think one thing that's really evident about that campaign is the bravery that it took to do it. I know they spent a lot of their marketing budget on that campaign and to do that without knowing whether that's going to be a success or not is a huge risk. But I think bravery and taking risks is something we need a lot more in the advertising industry, especially we've seen that in the past couple of years and it's been a huge um challenge for for clients and agencies to reach that together and that's something that you know I I hope she will take on to the new role at Coles and and work with Coles's agencies to to be as brave as that but that's the one thing that I'm a bit sad to see because it it really felt like Tourism Australia just was really starting to become quite a cool brand through those campaigns. Much better than the campaign that came out when current Prime Minister Scott Morrison was at the helm of Tourism Australia, which was the Where the Bloody Hell Are You campaign. So where the bloody hell are you? Perhaps one day we'll see Lisa popping up in Canberra. <laughs> who, who knows? But look, Tourism Australia hasn't at time of recording announced Lisa's replacement and she's going to stick around until March to help it manage its new roster of agencies, which includes MNC Saatchi, Digitas, and I think we call it, is it ASAP Plus? So. ASAP Plus? Yep. That's really interesting for me because often a new chief marketing officer will come in and shake up the agencies or at least review it or have a think about it. Whoever replaces Lisa, well, they've only just appointed new agencies. So I don't know if they'll get to have a say. 
What do you think about that? Look, it's interesting because obviously during the pitch process, Lisa would have been really heavily involved and being MNC at the time of being appointed, you sort of think you're coming into this this brand, Tourism Australia, with Lisa as part of that brand and it's probably going to be something that's going to take a lot of work and adjusting like any new relationship, whatever that may be, especially with a, a brand and an agency. So it's definitely going to be something that – I'm quite curious to see, and as I said, bravery plays a big role into that. You know, M&C Saatchi probably came into that thinking Tourism Australia is a great client because they're brave and they take risks, but will that be the same when Lisa isn't there? And, you know, also Tourism Australia's general manager of global media, PR and social, Jeff Eichen, left for or is leaving, was appointed to Maya to become its chief customer officer in October last year. So that's two pretty pivotal people to Tourism Australia and their branding and their campaigns that have left. So it sort of is going to be starting from the bottom up and, and rebuilding that up again. So look, it's it's quite hard to say because you know at this point in time, we don't know who the new CMO is, but they certainly have big shoes to fill. And she'll be jumping across to Coles, where previously Chief Operating Officer Greg Davis sort of had the marketing function in addition to his many, many other roles. It doesn't feel like he was doing a a bad job. I mean, the little shop promotion was under his leadership and goodness gracious, did that go bonkers and did it get people into the stores? Like, did it get them coverage? Yes, 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 yes. He was also at the helm when the good things are happening at Cole's brand campaign launched. Now, I would probably argue to your point, Abby, about bravery, good things are happening at Cole's, not that brave, not not that interesting, but the little shop promotion, uh, despite the hideous waste of plastic, was incredibly successful and somewhat brave in that at a time where everybody hates single use and wasteful plastic and they were also trying to do the plastic bag ban at the same time. It was quite a mixed messages campaign, but it it certainly worked. Look, I think uh, we all know I'm not the biggest fan of that campaign (laughs) for its its waste in plastic. And I think it was a bit of a, from my perspective, PR kerfuffle for Coles. It's sort of said to me that they're not quite sure what they actually stand for. And I think that's something that Coles still needs to improve on and a PR message that they definitely need to work on. But you know, for me, this sort of makes me think, are Coles about to do something different? And is that why Lisa has joined them now? You know, I've got to, th- you sort of think about why would Lisa move from from a great job at Tourism Australia where they're doing really, really good things to Coles, which is, you know, probably not, not as brave as Tourism Australia. So it sort of indicates to me that maybe there's going to be a little bit of change in strategy and branding at Coles to come this year, because otherwise you sort of think, why would Lisa move? Yeah, I totally agree. And I know it's a naive comment, but it was just Zoe and myself in the office when this news came through. And the first thing I said was, oh, gosh, Coles is going to be so much more boring than Tourism Australia. (laughs) Now, I have no authority on that subject and I could be completely wrong, but I still sort of think it. As somebody who spent a very, very um, uneventful 19 months in a public service role. I thought you were going to say 19 months in Coles, (laughs) lost in the aisles. Well, actually, I I did a bit more than that working for Kmart as a trolley pusher back in the the high school days. But um, four years in the public service for Lisa is probably long enough. And I mean, I know, okay, Tourism Australia isn't strictly speaking a proper public service, but it would have a lot of those, um, a lot of those constraints and so on. Um, I, I could understand after four years, and same with Jeff Iken after three years, 
you'd want to move on. And uh, looking at Lisa's background, Westpac, DJs, Telstra, that's more of her world. So yeah, I can understand that, wanting to move out of Tourism Australia and back into uh, uh, fast-moving consumer goods. And Lisa certainly wasn't the only one to move in January. Zoe, we also had Alex Parsons returning to Nine after leaving back in 2017 He's coming back on board to, I believe, manage the sale of the events business that previously belonged to Fairfax. So mm-hmm. the likes of the City to Serve, the Good Food Month, the Night, Night Noodle, Noodle Markets. Markets. Yeah. So can you inform us a bit on that? Because, you know, it's almost Alex's job to put himself out of a job. Now, I know some people like doing that, but <laughs> I certainly don't work towards making sure I don't have a job. What's in it for Alex? Well, I did ask Alex this because obviously the question begs when you're actually coming in and and informing everyone as well that you're in to sell the division that you're running. The obvious question is, well, what happens to you once you do that? Look, I think, and, and Alex has said this to me himself, he came back to nine from AdCorp because he's got experience in mergers and acquisitions. This is something that he's got experience, um, he has had experience in, in the past and essentially given his relationship with Nine, they've brought him back on board to manage that. He said that that's his immediate focus. I wouldn't be surprised if Nine keeps him around after that sale process is done and put him into some other role, whether that be managing other parts of the business that they maybe need to sell off or if they want to bring him back into a similar role that he had when he was, you know, head of digital. So what was his previous role? So it was chief digital officer in the end, but he also had the marketing function for a bit there too. So that's, again, this is a bit different to what he's done at Nine before, but I guess if you are a valuable member of the Nine team and, and Alex was always very well respected among the executives, that was my understanding, why not bring him back in and get him to do something really important for you guys and then you can ultimately create another role for him should his role cease to exist. And Nine is very keen to emphasise that whilst they're very keen to offload this arm of the business, they want to continue to have commercial relationships with whoever ends up owning it and they're saying that's a positive in in buying the business is you'll probably still have sponsorship and partnerships from nine, mm. I guess, I mean, my biggest question is who's going to run the city to surf after party now? <laughs> <laughs> the most the important big, question, the big, <laughs> The big questions, exactly. But look, I think nine very much wants to make it clear that they're not getting rid of this business because it's a bad business to buy. They're trying to stress to the market, this is a good business. You've got commercial partnerships with us shored up. We're not just offloading the worst bits of Fairfax. Exactly. And I know that uh, the Australian Financial Review, which is owned now owned by Nine, that's always important to note these days, <laughs> did say that there were something like eight or nine potential people interested or groups interested in buying this events division. It's obviously a division that can be I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity there to grow it to and 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 to build it out from what it is. I think it would be great to have in people's hands who are actually really, really have a really thorough understanding of what they already do and will be able to sort of build on that going forward. Maybe Nine didn't think that they could do that, but they could offer the commercial side, which it seems like that's the case on the surface. I'll be really interested to see who ends up picking up that division and, and, and whether those commercial relationships do actually continue once that sale has been put through, if it gets through. In more movements in January, I can't believe we've still got more to go. Michael Rebello, 
the former Saatchi and Saatchi boss and current CEO of Publicis Communications was elevated to CEO of the whole publicist group across Australia and New Zealand. The news came mere hours after Matt James, who is CEO of Publicist Media, taking a London-based role of global president of Zenith. James became CEO when Christopher Nolan was appointed COO and Christopher Nolan left in May 2018. Paul, it certainly feels like, because we've also had more changes at Dentsu X, where current MD Angela was promoted to a newly created role of Executive Director of Business Operations within the Dentsu Aegis Network and Sam Haig, who was current Chief Strategy Officer at CARA, came across to replace Angela as MD. It just feels like there's so much movement in these holding groups at the moment with new job titles being created and people moving sideways, upwards, backwards, all over the place. What do you think is going on with all of these shuffles at a holding group level? Well, I think globally and and here in Australia, all of the holding groups are having problems that uh, all of these uh, synergies that were claimed back in the day when they were taking over the various um, agencies aren't really being delivered and uh, they are all struggling in the marketplace. And, you know, taking it back to, to Mike Rebello, this was sort of indicated to us back in March 22nd last year when the former Havas CEO, Anthony Gregorio, took the reins of Saatchi and Saatchi Australia and became its CEO while Mike Rebello stepped down to focus his energy on leading publicists across Australia and New Zealand. So that was a bit of an indicator then, I suppose, of, of the moves that were going to happen uh, there. But to Paul's point, I think it's a really scary time for the holding groups. There's a lot of change, but not only that there's a lot of change, there's a lot of eyes on the holding groups. And there are a lot of people at looking looking at their numbers, looking how they're doing, looking at their clients, and they're really having to, to reinvent themselves to stay relevant. Yeah, I do just feel like we sort of get a press release a day about some shuffle or some movement. Mm. And look, sometimes it's great news for people. You know, a lot of people were really happy with Mike Rebello's appointment and saying, you know, he's one of the best in the industry. This is a well-deserved and good promotion. But other releases that we get, people are like, you know, the favourite comment in our comment thread, it's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. (laughs) So not necessarily applying this comment to Mike Rebello, but often it does just feel like they're shuffling things around and moving them around. And it was even said about Angela's new job title at uh, Dentsu Aegis Network, the Executive Director of Business Operations. You know, I had people saying to me, what does that even mean? Like at least they knew what it meant when she was Managing Director of Dentsu X. But now there's just new job titles all the time. Paul, I know you love a good Chief Customer Officer or a (laughs) wordy job title, but it's definitely happening a lot at the moment. And on top of that too, just going back to publicists, when um, uh, Blue449's former CEO, John Preston, uh, being appointed ANZ Chairman, so you had Matt James and and Preston there as – as chairman and CEO. I mean, how does this work? I mean, why would you create those positions? So you really do wonder what is going on within these agencies. It certainly feels like sometimes these groups and media organisations sometimes do it too, Mm. where they put two people at the top and almost see what happens, especially with mergers, white, grey, two CEOs, one leaves, the second one leaves, VML, YNR, two leaders. I know there's also been recent changes at News Corp, which we don't necessarily have time to go into, but I know there's a bit of a perception in the market that News Corp sometimes puts two very prominent, very successful, very strong-willed people into similar positions and 
just lets them battle it out Fight and see for the death. And and let's just say that it seems like Damien Eels survives every round. So. I've heard it being uh, described as the Hunger Games of corporate Australia. Oh, wow. That is very, very dramatic. And look, there can only be one winner in the Hunger Games. So I guess we'll see who takes out the 2019 title. Just very quickly, things we don't have time to go into is the Big Red CEO, uh, Bridget Cleary is leaving, their biggest account being Coles, which is interesting with Lisa Ronson coming in. They're obviously not necessarily connected, but it's just going to be sort of change in that marketing function, I imagine. And 72 and Sunny has hired Ross Berthin. Oh, goodness, I knew this was going to be a challenge for me to say, and I'm so sorry, Ross, because I know that we've been for drinks at the pub and I still can't say it. Ross Berthinusen who was previously at Ugly with Gary McCready and Hazel Clonhammer. Again, sorry, Hazel. Uh, McCready then left to become ECD of 303 Mullen Low and Ugly shut in October. And so that's a really good hire for 72 and Sunny. And, Abby, I know that they've been sort of quite aggressive in their hiring recently. Are you expecting big things from 72 and Sunny in 2019? Look, I think when they became the, the lead agency on the Optus account, it, it – you know, they could use Optus as much as Optus could use them and it and it gave them, you know, an account for them to really put their name on the map, which then gives them the opportunity to to make these big hires. And I think people are starting or were starting to look at seventy two and sunny and and want to see more work, but we definitely saw that saw that at the end of last year with the work that they did for Optus. So I definitely think that this was the right hire because there was a lot of talk about, you know, creative versus strategy and if they were working together on those Optus ads. So it probably was was time to hire a local executive strategy director because I know that their um, ECD does work across multiple offices. All right, up next four agencies are in the running to rebrand Australia. So in the slow news period at the beginning of January, not that as you've heard, it was actually very (laughs) slow. uh, In Abigail's absence, I did some stalking of the tenders on the government websites, which is obviously Abby's specialty, not mine, but I did second best and, and tried to see what I could find. And a story we'd reported on mid last year was that the then Turnbull government uh, was trying to get Australia rebranded in the eyes of the rest of the world, but more in a B2B context than a B2C context. They sort of wanted to make sure that it was known that we were a great exporter of premium quality goods and services, a competitive investment destination, a quality provider of education and a great place to visit, but not necessarily a tourism promotion. It's more to do with sort of trade and promoting us as an investment and business destination and bringing that all under one banner rather than having too many brands and too many confusing messages out in the market. It's a huge job. The contract is only worth $3 million, which has been questioned by a lot of people in the industry. How can you possibly bring such a fractured, multifaceted country with a million brands together in the eyes of the rest of the world for various functions for $3 million? But nevertheless, that's the charge that the government has put out there. And I found that in November, four agencies uh, had $22,000 contracts with the government as a pitch fee for the for the business. So those final four agencies were Saatchi & Saatchi, Host Havas, 
Interbrand Australia and Clemenger BBDO Sydney. I am aware that at least one of those agencies is out of the running, but I probably can't say just yet. They're looking for the best creative minds for this project. It's going to be a big one. Paul, I know that you have feelings about this kind of thing. And one of the comments that's come through consistently with this story is it's quite an interesting and problematic time to be doing a rebrand for the country when we're about to undergo an election. This project has a time frame of delivery until 2021. We have to have a federal election this year. So there is the risk that we'll do all this and then new government, new priorities. I mean, I guess the agency still gets paid if they've got the contract, but do you think this will happen or do you think there'll be a government change and it'll disappear and we'll never get to find out what brand Australia is? Well, the risk with this, well, it will go ahead regardless of who's in government. The risk with this is if the federal government pulls an early election, it, that may happen before the contract's given, in which case the federal government won't give the contract out until after the election. So that's going to complicate things there. Just going back a bit, though, when I worked for the New South Wales government, that stint as a public servant, this was the area I was working in, except at the state level rather than the federal level. One of the interesting things that a lot of people overseas said about Australia's marketing was that we've been too successful with the consumer side marketing. So the the classic Paul Hogan, get a put a shrimp on the Barbie type thing. That um, that really messed up the whole Austrade side of things, which is say, trying to put us as a serious place to come and invest you know, in tech startups. Mixed messages. Whatever. That's right. So people, famously uh, the boss of Google, Sergey Brin, said um, when they wanted to set up a, um, a, a lab here in Sydney, which now employs 300 developers, he said, what are you going to do in Sydney? Throw... throw um, throw frisbees on Bondi Beach. That, and that was the attitude of Google senior management, that you don't come here to do serious business, you come here for a holiday. So this is a problem for them. They do have this annual thing of G'day USA and G'day UK, where um, they have celebs and so on um, showing off Australia. There's been a lot of criticism of that. I think that's a separate contract to this, though, uh, where basically it's a chins up for various ministers and uh, expats to all get together and have some fun and rub shoulders with people in Hollywood. But uh, it is a really complex thing, this. And uh, as you say, only $3 million to push it is a really hard ask for those agencies. And Abby, you know agencies better than anyone in this room, that's for sure. What do you think of these final four, even though we might sort of know who's more likely to win or, or who might already be out of the running? What's what's your sense of them being the best creative minds? Yeah, so, you know, to, to put it down to these four and we'll start with Saatchi and Saatchi. Saatchi and Saatchi is definitely a very creative, creative agency and they had a really good year last year. They won accounts like NRMA, ride-sharing app, Didi, uh, Football Federation of Australia, Auto Trader. They, they ha- really did have a good year, but to me, they seem a little bit, uh, a little bit more creative focused uh, than the others, and, and perhaps what this uh, project needs in terms of thinking about brand strategy and branding itself. They seem to do really well in in more traditional advertising. Yeah, because as say. Paul said, this is very, very B two B and quite Correct. serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then, you know, you look at host Havas and uh, they have struggled a little bit. They they lost a Porto Ed Rooster, but to be fair to them, they also did pick up accounts like Char Time and, and Oriton. But they were a little bit quieter and uh, to me, you know, it just sort of seems like they're not quite the right fit, although I probably would put them in maybe second place for it. Um, to take it next to Interbrand, which is an Omnicom agency, to me they seem like the right fit for the job. Because, because they're a branding correct. agency. So that was a comment that was left on the story that even though this is very much a branding exercise and a consolidation of branding exercise, people sort of said there's only one branding agency in the mix. Exactly. And, you know, in their words, they specialise in brand strategy, brand analysis, brand valuation, corporate design, naming and digital brand management. And to me, that seems very B2B-esque and also seems what the project needs and what the government will be looking for. So if I was to bet on anything, I'd bet them. And then you've got Clemenger Sydney and, you know, they, they've also had a little bit of a tough year last year. Um, losing Tourism Australia was obviously a, a big loss for them, but, you know, they, they are still a, a very good agency with good talent in there. So um, makes sense that they are in the final four. Well, I'll look forward to updating you on who's going to rebrand our country. And if you want a bit of a laugh, there is some quite funny threads going on on Twitter after I posted this story with people pretending to rebrand Australia. <laughs> so if you need a giggle, you can have a look around and find out what the ideas people are offering to do for free. Next up, more shakeups at Today. So we wouldn't be a media podcast if we didn't talk about Carl Stefanovic and the Today show. It seems like perhaps finally they've stopped making announcements about who's coming and who's going. Anyone who happened to miss it, I'm not sure how, maybe you were holidaying under under the sea. <laughs> but it has been announced that Deborah Knight will replace Carl Stefanovic. Georgie Gardner will remain. Uh, current 60 Minutes reporter Tom Steinfort will come on board and replace Silver, Sylvia Jeffries as newsreader. And it's also been announced that the current sports reporter Tim Gilbert is leaving and there's a host of other nine personalities coming on board to help out as well as new recruit Brooke Boney who's coming on as entertainment reporter now nine's very keen to stress that it's not the end of Richard Dickie Wilkins he'll be taking on a bigger role at today extra but it does sort of seem like they've very much gotten rid of the old guard at today to try and win back some of the ratings and credibility and goodwill that they had with consumers it is a show fronted by two females which as absurd as it is as 20 in 2019 has gotten a lot of coverage zoe what do you think about this is it a genuine move is it a tokenistic move to get good pr because oh look we have two women aren't we special or is it just a really, really obvious attempt to get away from bad boy Carl and have two serious journalist women who don't sort of have that knockabout bad boy image? Look, I think it's a mixture of everything. Obviously, whatever they were going to decide 
as the whole new lineup, it was going to have to be, as you said, a massive step away from what they had just because that whole image of the old today when Lisa Wilkinson was there, and that's not to say she had any part in in what happened in the last year with with that show and, and its TV ratings, but they definitely needed to move away from that. I would say it would be very risky of them to intentionally put two women out in front as the breakfast hosts. I say that because it can go one of two ways when people do do that. It can go, oh, look, you're not actually about women at all. You're just trying to do it. And when you genuine, people can sense when it's quite fake. What I would say about Deborah Knight is that she was a very, she wasn't ideal candidate anyway. Everyone is familiar with her. She's filled in before. It wasn't like, oh, we'll just pick a random person and just throw them in with Georgie and make it work. There has been some some criticisms about in our comment thread about I think being boring and all of that. But, you know, I think it's a step in the right direction. And what I'd say is probably the biggest difference is that it's very different to Sunrise, which they really need going into 2019. Sunrise has completely taken advantage of the controversy in the last year, from a ratings perspective, that is. They've really taken a lead. What today needed to do was completely diversify that offering. And I think whether or not it works is a different thing, but I think they've really actually tried to do that successfully. And, uh, you know, I think you sort of mentioned this, Zoe, but the Today Show did need a bit of PR help. And, and and I think, you know, as you've said, this is an attempt for them as well to sort of reposition the show and reposition what it stands for and, and what their, uh, you know, anchors stand for and all of that. And I think, you know, they probably haven't, as you said, just thrown someone random in and thought, let's just try and make it work. And I think too, um, as you said before, Viv, that uh, – it's surprising that in 2019 we're still uh, aghast at two female hosts. That, uh, and with uh, Brooke Boney coming on, uh, Richard Wilkins has been there for 30 years. Wow. Original host of um, MTV Australia in 1987, Wikipedia tells me. So, um, <laughs> well, that's uh, a fact. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it is really a time for a shake-up and uh, it, we really should give uh, today at least some kudos for trying something new probably trying to skew to that younger female audience as well, make it more relevant to a newer audience. Um, and, uh, yeah, let uh, Sunrise have that slightly older audience and, yeah, maybe get another demographic. Well, look, I certainly don't watch breakfast television, one, because I find it painful, and two, <laughs> because if I'm up at that time of the morning, I simply don't want to be doing that. But I do know a number of people who were very solid Today fans who just weren't on board with what's been happening lately. They loved it when things were great between Lisa Wilkinson and Carl Stefanovic, but they felt like that got a bit stale. There was obvious tension between Georgie Gardner and Carl Stefanovic, so they didn't like that. So they're really looking forward to it and they're going to give it a go and they think even if it is a bit tokenistic and even if they are trying to get PR out of having women at the forefront and it was a bit annoying that they kept listing the women's ages and not Mm. listing Tom Steinfort's age and kept saying how amazing it was to have women in their late 40s fronting a television program. At least they are, as Zoe said, trying something different. It seems to be resonating with the strange people that I know who watch that show. So, look, maybe maybe it will work. The other thing I would say, which I think you also touched on, Viv, is that the feel of the show seems a little bit more serious. I think I read somewhere that uh, there was there is some journos with experience at the Canberra Press Gallery who are coming on board. It definitely, and I don't know if it's a coincidence just because Nine now owns newspapers as well, but it definitely feels like it's not funny joke cash cow all the time. It feels like they might have – 
some some very different conversations in the morning and it may be what that audience wants. Well, that feels like as good a place as any to wrap things up for the first Mumbrella cast of 2019. Before we go, given that this is an audio podcast, the only kind of podcast really, I should mention that Mumbrella has launched a new event. I know, another one. Yay! (laughs) Called Audioland, which is a bit of a step away from what we've done before it's not just a marketing summit it's not just about marketing it's about the whole audio landscape and the boom in the audio industry what brands can do with it there'll be marketing advice there'll be all sorts of things so definitely check it out if you're interested if you enjoy this podcast if you enjoy other podcasts if you're a brand wondering how you can do audio more if you're a company who feels like you could be doing it better Everything will be covered at this, so you can find out more about it at mumbrella.com.au slash audioland. And from memory, it's in May, but I think the website will be more accurate than me. In the meantime, thank you, Abby, Paul and Zoe for joining me. Thanks, Thanks Viv. Viv.